Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your life. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Lift your eyes Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press. Sunbury Press publishes print and electronic books under 10 different imprints in a variety of categories sold worldwide, wherever books are sold. This episode, we welcome author Paula Tucker. Paula Stone Tucker was a witness to the May 4, 1970 shootings at Kent State University. A retired clinical psychologist, she worked with families, couples, and survivors of trauma and abuse. In her younger days, she was a reporter for the Akron Beacon Journal and the Daily Kent Stater. She grew up in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, and graduated from Kent State University. She splits her time between Northeast Ohio and the villages in Florida, where she writes, plays the flute, and is learning to play golf. We'll have to find out how she's doing with that. Her first book, Surviving a Kent State Memoir, was a finalist in the Florida Writers Association Royal Palm Literary Award Competition. With Sunbury Press, Paula is the author of that book, Surviving a Kent State Memoir, about the events in her life before, during, and after May 4th, 1970 at Kent State University. Paula Tucker, welcome. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. So we'll get into your golf game in a little bit. but <laughs> Okay. Let's start with May 4th, 1970, because May, to me, May 4th, 1970, it was my father's 27th birthday. My sixth birthday was the next day, May 5th, 1970. So I can imagine back then that we were trying to have a happy time in our household. We since have my daughter, Abby, born on May 4th as well. So this May 4th, May 5th thing in our family is a big day. So I actually apparently just missed being born on May 4th myself by a few hours. So there's something about something about May 4th in the Nor family, but I want to make it clear. That's not why we picked you uh, after we met you in Florida at the writers association and you were a finalist. Uh, We just think it was a fantastic book and an interesting slice of history, especially uh, your perspective of those events. So tell us a little bit about May 4th, 1970, uh, according to Paula Tucker. Huh, okay. Well, I wanted to mention that I did win that award uh, that, that you said I was a finalist for. So I won the silver medal from the Florida Writers Association. Um, and you're right. I was an eyewitness to the killing of four innocent students and the wounding of nine others at Kent State University on May 4th. I was about 30 yards in front of the National Guard, the Ohio National Guard, uh, when they fired, and I was five months pregnant. I was uh, observing the crowd, and in my mind, the demonstration that had um, just taken place was over, and people were walking to their classes, and uh, getting on with their lives. So my book is about um, the days that led up to that uh, 
shooting and what happened afterwards. My book also goes into um, my personal life and my escape from an abusive marriage and my learning how to stand on my own two feet um, as a single parent. The book's a memoir, and um, it's my personal account rather than a historical document. Right, right. But as you said, you were so close to that event, and being on campus before and after, of course, you know the context. At the time, I believe, if I recall, you were writing or you were a reporter for the the campus newspaper. Is that correct? Right. Well, I was, by that time, I was one of the editors, one of the sub-editors, and um, I had just gotten married a few weeks before that, and I was um, had resigned my position. I was still an editor for the yearbook. Back then, uh, colleges had great big yearbooks that had everybody's picture in it. And you can imagine with a place like Kent State that had 20,000 undergraduates that those books were really big. Uh, so I was on campus that day to take reservations for the yearbook. And um, I was in the building that was uh, at the top of uh, what's called Blanket Hill that ran down to the commons. And the commons was the area where the, uh, uh, the National Guard had uh, gathered. There'd been uh, one of the ROTC buildings had been burned on the Saturday before that, so two days prior to the May 4th incident, and the guard was surrounding this kind of burned out hulk of a building. Um, so on May 4th, there was a rumor that there was going to be um, a, a gathering on the commons. The commons was a big flat area where people would come to uh, gather, lay in the sun, um, you know, play frisbee and things like that. And at the edge of the commons was a, a bell called the Victory Bell. And people would ring that bell after an athletic event, after a, a football game that uh, Kent State won. Although when I was there, they weren't winning very many games. So I was inside the building, uh, but I could hear the bell ringing, that, summoning people to this um, this uh, protest that was supposed to be taking place at noon. And uh, my husband had dropped me off that morning about 9 o'clock, and he said, don't go to any demonstrations today. And I said, oh, no, I wouldn't. And uh, But it got to be irresistible. I, I heard the bell, and I just had to go outside and see what was going on. Uh, so the first thing I saw was something that was, completely surprising to me. It was uh, sorority girls who were yelling uh, epithets at the guard. Let's just put it that way. I don't want to go into any obscenities on the radio, but um, they were yelling, uh, and the guard was um, hundreds of yards away from them on the other sides of the, of the commons. Um, what happened next was that uh, a jeep filled with uh, National Guard came out onto the commons. Somebody had a bullhorn, 
and they were uh, yelling at the kids. There were probably maybe 1,500 kids that were standing on the hill uh, at the edge of the common. And I couldn't really understand what they, they were saying through the bullhorn, but I assumed that they were saying uh, that we needed to disperse, that we weren't allowed to gather there. And so that was, uh, that was the next thing that happened. Um, after that, the, the, the Jeep went back towards the um, ROTC building, and um, a, a line of guards started marching out uh, from the other side of the commons, marching towards the students. Um, and I was guessing it was with the idea that they were going to be able to disperse them. Uh, they got a certain point across the commons, and uh, they fired some tear gas at this group of students. And it, the tear gas kind of wafted up the hill. I don't know if you've ever been tear gassed, but it no. hurts. <laughs> it hurts. It burns. And I was tear gassed. And so I... Uh, ran into the building to wash my eyes out, went into the bathroom and ran some water and put it up on my eyes, and uh, that helped. And so I then decided, rather than, you know, staying inside where it was safe, I decided to go back outside and see what was going on. And uh, when I got back outside, the crowd had disappeared, and... So I thought, well, they, maybe they went to the other side of the building. Who knows? So I looked around, and I could see um, when I looked around the side of the building, I could see uh, students going up over the hill um, and onto the other side of the building down, down another hill. Um, so I followed them. And... Um, I got to the top of the hill, and the, the top of the hill I'm referring to is where the uh, famous uh, pagoda structure was. And uh, so I walked past that. The pagoda comes into play a little bit later. And I thought people were, were leaving. They were going to class. And so I was walking down the, the, the path, and then on down the sidewalk on the other side of Taylor Hall towards the parking lot and um, just kind of following the crowd and watching them. Um, so I went past with a metal sculpture, and when I passed the sculpture, I could hear pops, and I thought they were firecrackers. Uh, so I turned around looked over my left shoulder to see what was going on, and I could see the guard kneeling uh, by the pagoda and uh, puffs of smoke coming out of the ends of their guns. Well, I was so dumb, so naive, that I thought, well, those must be blanks that they're firing. And so I just kept walking, and after you know, a couple seconds, I had another thought, well, gee, maybe they're, maybe they're blanks, and maybe blanks can hurt you. Um, and so I 
walked over to a set of stairs and lay down. And I was didn't want to lay down in the dirt because I had a new dress on and I didn't want to get it messed up. So that was kind of the the um, what what happened. So were you were you yeah. walking away from the firing or I was, was it? I was, I was walking away. I was about 30 yards in front of the guard when they fired. Uh-huh. And at that metal sculpture where I turned around to look, uh, there was one student who was uh, shot in the chest and injured. Wow. Right by yeah. your, how far from you mm-hmm. was the, the injured person when, well, when they were shot? Well, I don't know because yeah, I, yeah. you know, it must have been it must have been right then when I looked around, uh, and of course I I didn't realize that someone was shot, right. and so I kept I kept walking, and um, so I got maybe uh, you know thirty or fifty yards farther down the path, and laid down on the steps, uh, and so the the whole firing altogether only took 13 seconds sure so yeah well those were yeah when they were firing military rifles they could have taken you all out in a minute if they if they wanted to so i'm just kind of going back to those 13 seconds um you know as you were telling your your narrative is your what Mm -hmm. you recalled i was envisioning it and i see you walking away past this sculpture hear the pop 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 they think they're firecrackers. Um, was there any kind of shouting or screaming, or were, were the other students as naive about what was happening, or were they uh, immediately aware that the guard was actually firing live am- ammunition at them? Well, I would say that for the most part, everyone was naive. There, of course, were people who had been in the military and had been discharged and were students. And they knew. Um, I have uh, one friend, um, Howard Ruffner, who published a book about Kent State. And he was in the Air Force. So in, he discusses, you know, being aware that they had live ammunition. But for the most part, no. And so I was, when I decided to raise my head and look and see what was going on, I still had no idea that people had been shot. But one of the first um, things I saw was uh, Jeffrey Miller's body laying in the, in the um, driveway access. And I was maybe 20 or 30 feet from where he was laying. Wow. And, yeah, so I... You could have very easily been, very easily been one of the victims. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I looked at him, and I thought, oh, he tripped. And then I could see some blood trickling from his head. And uh, that that's the iconic photo uh, that, that John Philo took, in fact. Um, but anyway, I could see the blood trickling from his head, and I thought, gee, he really hit his head hard when he fell. I wonder why that was. And then I I looked up beyond him onto what's the edge of the practice football field, 
and uh, people were slowly getting up, but uh, it was very, very quiet. It was almost a dead silence, and I could see that there were other people that weren't getting up, so I, I stood up, and I started counting how many people were still on the ground, and I would start one, two, and I'd get up to about seven or eight, and I would think, well, this can't be right. Why would so many people trip and fall? So here it's, you know, kind of a psychological protection that I still don't realize that people have been shot. And um, then somebody started screaming, you know, uh, get help, and somebody else started screaming in, in horror. And it slowly dawned on me that uh, people had been shot. So how many soldiers were involved? How well, many actually fired uh, their weapons? Do we know? Uh, I think that that is, uh, let's say, inconclusive. Um, you know, there's people that admitted to firing. There's people that did not admit to firing. Um, at the top of the hill, there was a maybe uh, 10 or 15 soldiers uh, that, that turned around. There was a whole group of soldiers at the top, but there were only part of the group that turned around and knelt and fired. So wow. afterwards, they went about, you know, counting bullet casings and and things like yeah. that to try and figure out what happened. Yeah. So yeah. it was a mistake or was it ordered? And forgive me for being naive about the history of Kent yeah. State. I'm not as knowledgeable about, you know, the, the aftermath as far as determining blame and how it happened. It just sounds like, it sounds like you actually weren't, I mean, the, the pictures that I recall, kind of show the students right in the face of the soldiers, like it was a really hostile environment. And then the soldiers started shooting. It sounds to me like the soldiers were yards away. You all were walking away and they were shooting mm -hmm. you essentially in the back as you all walked away. Yeah. Or were, was there a segment of students that were still screaming at them? And, and, uh, well, the, there's, there's evidence of that, uh, the closest student. Uh, to any of the guard was 60 feet away. So uh, what the guard claimed was that they were in fear for their lives. And what students claim was that, was that the guard turned around and shot them. And so there's been a lot of litigation about it. Most of it was in the 1970s. Yeah. And uh, nobody ever admitted wrongdoing. Uh, nobody ever admitted um, giving an order to fire, um, although when you examine the pictures, there's uh, one, of the, um, uh, one of the leaders of the guard has a, a pistol, and it looks like they might be giving an order, but no one's ever admitted that. Um, so back in the 70s, this was 1970, Ohio had a, a a law that you you could not sue the the government of Ohio, um, and so 
they used that to um, uh, say that you couldn't sue the sue Ohio, you couldn't sue the National Guard. Uh, but there were um, later on in the 70s, there were some lawsuits, and um, uh, eventually in 1979, the state of Ohio gave uh, uh, settled. Uh, one of the suits, and there were um, four killed and nine injured. And for all of that, the the settlement was six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. And no one no one ever admitted any wrongdoing. Uh, they they apologized. Twenty eight of the people apologized. Twenty eight of the people that were involved in the suit apologized but never admitted any wrongdoing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, I know a little, a little bit about firearms and there's with a a group of soldiers armed as they were, it doesn't sound like the whole unit opened up with their automatic weapons. So it sounds like one or two. Yeah. One or two might've could have done that. In fact, one soldier could have done that damage themselves. Uh, in that amount of time, and uh, wow, that I I had never realized that it wasn't a directation that the the students were walking away at that point. And right, you know, well, in my mind, I guess I have the CSNY song in my head about Ohio, and you know, yeah, sort of the right. the legends about it um, since that paint paint a picture. Uh, more, and mm-hmm. the photographs, of course, uh, that I recall. Yeah. Well, seem to be more confrontational. Were, yeah. Of the people that were killed, all but one of them was walking away. Um, and um, Jeffrey Miller, he, uh, there were photographs of him pawning the guard and, and you know, being present at the um, – the, the demonstrations that led up to May 4th, um, the rest of the people were shot either in the back or the side. So they, they were all walking away. One of them was an um, ROTC candidate, and uh, the others were walking to their classes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's just, there definitely, I, definitely <laughs> more than one person that fired. Yeah, you, you're leaving me speechless because, uh, oh, you know, I, I was involved with your book and, you know, I helped to edit your book and all that. And, you know, it's been a couple of years and I've never really went any further into the Kent State story. And now I'm really intrigued by what mm-hmm. really happened there and why. And, of course, we might never know exactly Right. Why. I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. Uh, well, well, what the, it's important now because uh, well, you were too young to realize it, but the country was very divided back then. And so now I, I see uh, great similarities to what's going on for different reasons now. Uh, but especially since the pandemic, um, how the country has become so divided and how dangerous that is. What can happen if if uh, people stand by silently as um, 
you know, uh, people aggress against each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, we are in, let's just say it's a very tense time. We'll see how the, the next few weeks play out and how things settle down. And uh, let's hope we have a very peaceful and prosperous next 10, 20, 30 years. Somehow I think we're still going to have a lot of partisanship and arguing and pointing and hopefully not much beyond that. I mean, you can always turn off the noise on the TV. You don't have to participate in the, uh, you know, the name calling and all that. But uh, when it, when it becomes physical, when there is looting in your, in your city or violence in your area, uh, when there are statues being torn down and defacing and, uh, threats against people because of their political beliefs, whichever side you're on, that that's all getting kind of scary. And I would hope that right. uh, we don't come to that any worse than it's been. Uh, we right. do only have, actually, Paula, we, we have been, you're, you're a very detailed accounting of the, of those minutes, those 13 seconds on May 4th, 1970 took up <laughs> over 20 minutes we're down to only four minutes to go, and I wanted to get into some more things with you, but there's really only time to ask you about, you know, what you're working on now. What's next for, for you? And I know you had wanted to do some promoting with the book. Do you have anything lined up as far as that goes? <laughs> Nothing yet. I'm going to focus on next spring. Um, there was uh, – the reason I wrote this book was uh, that uh, – May 4th, 2020 was the uh, 50th anniversary of the, uh, of the shootings. And, uh, of course, everything was uh, postponed because of COVID and then finally canceled. So there was an online uh, commemoration for the students who were killed and injured. But um, what people discussed was having something in May 4th of uh, 2021. So I'm going to focus on the spring and all of my uh, speaking engagements that were canceled uh, last last spring. I I hope that they'll uh, come back this spring. Oh, let's hope so. Let's hope yeah. so. Hey, in a in a minute or so, can you tell me about this book fair that you did that was online? How did that go? Oh, yeah, the book fair online. Um, I belong to a uh, writer's league in the villages uh, that has about 160 writers in it. And we usually have a book fair every January. But we decided because of uh, COVID to postpone that for this coming January and instead have an online book fair. So... um, Anybody who was uh, uh, wanted to submit their books uh, could uh, be in this book fair, and then I did all the social media promotion for it, so I had to learn all about that, and that's what's been occupying me this fall. Uh, but it just finished, and uh, later on this afternoon, I'm going to hear about... Um, you know, if if there were any sales or what happened, it uh, they did were able to track uh, where all the the uh, traffic to the book fair yeah. came from, and it was all from 
the uh, social media posts that I had had uh, done over the last few weeks. So I'm happy about that. Well, Paula, we're we're now out of time, but I want to I will want to get with you. If you had a successful book fair, I want to hear how to do that. So okay, we'll okay. have you back again at some point. <laughs> thanks for All thanks right. for joining us. Oh, We've been talking. Yep, we've been talking to Paula Stone Tucker, the author of Surviving, a Kent State Memoir. Paula was just feet away from the victims who were shot at Kent State during those 13 seconds on May 4th, 1970. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak Network. You can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.